Hello, Matthew Grant here. And if you are a regular listener to the Instep podcast, you'll know that we've 200 episodes now and a new one each week coming out on Sunday when we talk to founders of companies, senior leaders in insurance and industry experts. But we are also avid podcast listeners ourselves and occasionally people even invite us onto their podcast. With such choice, we thought we'd pull together some of the content other people are creating or sometimes things we're doing on other channels and drop it into a midweek release. Sustainability is important these days, so what better than to recycle a podcast? Well, for this week, we bring you Juan de Castro, Chief Commercial and Operations Officer at Saitora. Now, we're delighted to have Saitora as a corporate member and Richard Hartley, co-founder and CEO of Saitora, will be joining us again on the Instead podcast early in 2023. So look out for that and for Saitora in our updated data ingestion and extraction report coming out next year too. All details on the website www.instec.co. Now, Juan knows insurance well, having spent five years at Hiscox before he joined Saitora in a senior role there. And Juan hosts a managing risk flow podcast from Saitora. For this episode, which was recorded earlier this year, he's interviewing Nick Brown, Divisional Director Broker from Markel International, and James Wright, Head of Technology at Beasley Digital. Nick and James talk about some of the challenges that insurers and brokers are facing and how they've overcome these. Well, this is a bit of a win, 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 win for us all because we are all also delighted to have Markel and Beasley as corporate members and so a great excuse to share some of what they're up to too. Okay, let's go now to Juan, Nick and James recording in front of a live audience. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining and thank you everybody for coming. I expect this panel to be very much like a like a discussion about how you guys at Beasley and Markel think about the evolution of the business and deliver better value. It's going to be fun because there's, there are a number of competitors in the room. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. How I like much? What we say. Exactly. Like we how give much? away all our secrets. <laughs> I think at the end, I think we all insurers have a, a similar ambition with slightly different perspective. I think that would be a, a quite an interesting discussion. So just brief introductions. So I am Juan. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Saitora. James and Nick, do you want to do a brief introduction of yourself? So, uh, Nick Brown, I'm the Divisional Director for the Broker Channel at Markel in the UK. Um, I've been at Markel for five years. I've never worked in commercial lines insurance before that. So, the insight that I'm going to give you today is absolutely stellar right, in terms of, uh, of that. But I think sometimes that's an advantage. And I was brought into Markel to consolidate variously different acquired brands, create a single brand identity, get that brand identity to be, to be recognized in the channels that we distribute our products through and ultimately drive profitable growth. And we're doing a really good job of that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. So there's a piece where that's me. Fantastic. James. Hi, everyone. James Wright, obviously at Beasley. I've been at Beasley 18 years, which is a long time, but more recently, now part of the leadership team in Beasley Digital. We're focused on SME commercial business, and that's global, so North America, Canada, Spain, France, UK, Germany, maybe Singapore at some point. <laughs> and my journey to this role has been one from a technology background, but increasingly over the years, originally in the London market, then I went to the US for eight years, got very close to product and distribution in the US, a real passion for how we really make money and service brokers, and then back to the UK for this specific role. Fantastic. Perhaps we start with an overview of your vision and what you're doing at Markel. Do something similar with Beasley and perhaps we'll find points of commonality yeah. across the two and, and we can discuss those too. You've got quite a strong vision for how you're transforming at the broker channel at Markel, which is it's quite exciting to see. Yeah. 
perhaps just start by sharing like what are the two or three highlights? Yeah, I think Markel, in terms of our business with the Broker Channel, we're very focused on managing the specialisms that we work within. So looking at industry sectors and trying to go as deep as we possibly can to in understanding the customer that's in there, the risk, um, and ultimately trying to deliver sustainable solutions, right? So you know, the kind of hard and soft market, and Juan, I'm not going to distract the discussion by getting onto my favorite subject of how ridiculous the hard and soft market is in the general insurance market in the UK. But sustainability is key and managing risk and genuinely adding value to customers. We're very lucky. We've got our own law firm. We've got a specialist tax division. Um, we look after and support businesses like the Federation of Small Business helping 200,000 SMEs with their challenges on a, on a mm. day-to-day basis. And we try and pull all that together to really be able to identify with the customers in each sector and bring solutions to them that isn't just about insurance. I mean, that's obviously the important piece, but it is about the ancillary services that we can offer that either help manage risk um, or provide support in different challenges that the traditional SME has in the UK. So our strategy is all about driving growth and driving profitable growth out of that, um, but ultimately getting into new sectors mm. in order to facilitate that growth. You know, we want to be a billion dollar business in the UK. But, but often when you talk about that growth and how to enable that growth, you two themes I think that come to mind. One is you talk a lot about capturing efficiencies yep. to drive growth and then specifically how a better broker service it accelerates that growth. So perhaps yeah. you want to touch on those two things. I think when we started, rather than forcing brokers into a different way of working because that was what best for us, you know, and various insurers in the UK will have a massive affinity with the fact of got to try and save money. So the digital solution is a great way of being able to ultimately get brokers to self-service and allow that work transfer. And that's okay if they want to do that. And we've definitely tried to support the broker on that journey. But as we've grown, you know, we're writing, I think, 500% more new business a year than we were four years ago. And that's all great because we could have been selling a pound right now as a fiver. But the reality is, is that about 30% of our monthly revenue is coming from new business. So that's great. But the challenge that that gives us is you know, if we're delivering that 40% year on year, you can't recruit 40% more people mm. to be able to do all of the support, whether that could just be getting a new business quote out, managing claims, managing the operations, managing the renewal activity, and providing the same level of service as a, that the broker requires. So we've had to look at things differently, not through gaining efficiency as an operational requirement to save money, but we have to make efficient decisions to facilitate growth. Otherwise, we're just going to go off a cliff and end up spiraling because we can't service the business that we've brought in. And that's why the relationship with Saitor has been you know, incredibly helpful for us, um, specifically on the new business, but we expect that to be more helpful across the business in yeah. the coming years. And I think this, we'll touch on that with James in a second. I think you talk also a lot about meeting brokers where they want to be met. So I, I would love to hear your yeah. thoughts in a second on that. So you've also touched on a, a slightly different operating model and flow. I mean, that, that's something that you've driven in the last year. Yeah. Like, how how are you enabling underwriters to be able to write 40% more business a year without yeah. adding 40% more underwriters? Perhaps for the rest of the room, can you just drive us at a high level? What does the flow look like? Yeah, I mean, we all know what the underwriting community as a, as a culture, uh, the challenge and the benefit that it gives us, because it's equal, right, in terms of that experience 
But the reality is, is that for me, there's two different types of business that we operate in, in our environment. There are transactional risks that are not that complicated, right? That don't need to go through a traditional underwriting process. And there's more complicated risks that absolutely need to be gone through the lens of the underwriting view. And I think that what we've tried to do is get our underwriters to spend more time underwriting, especially on those complex risks, and create a process that provides a better service um, for the broker on the more transactional activity. And you know, there's a, a no load of reasons that we've done that, and I'm happy to go through that in terms of where we've worked with Saitora. First thing, auto-declining risks that come through the door rather than having someone look at them and spend in half an hour on something that's never going to be a, a pound value to this organization just seems like a no-brainer. But to get to that point, we've had to look at all of the ways in which business comes to us. Some of that is structured in terms of data. Some of that is unstructured emails right, from brokers. We all know what that's like. We use Saitora to turn that into an automated process to reduce data entry, um, which in turn gives us a system that enables us to work and create our workflow for underwriters off the back of that. But it enables us to put algorithms around prioritization as well as the auto declines um, so that we can spend more time on the things that are going to ultimately result in a better outcome for us um, and prioritize and manage our workflow off the back of that. And that goes against every bone in my body as a salesperson, by the way. I want to treat every single opportunity equally because I want to win them all, right? So you know, this is the reality of the growth story is that we've got to be able to be more structured in the way that we do that. And, um, you know, Saitora and the use of CRM together has been transformational for us yeah. in terms of having a slick process. And I, I think the, the, the auto decline specifically, I think yeah. it's a summarizes really well how you're not looking at pure efficiency. Because you could say auto declines, it's, a, it's an efficient way of yeah. making sure underwriters are not wasting time um, on out-of-appetite submissions. I think the perspective you take is actually auto decline are even more important to get to the broker right away, yeah. to let them know that you're not going to write that. Right? Which, is, which is the difference between pure efficiency and looking at it from a broker service perspective too, right? Without a doubt. We had our... Um... US specialty team over about a month or two ago. And they're writing billions in terms of the kind of markets that they're in, not too dissimilar to us. And the question that I was asked was, but why aren't you managing the broker to stop giving you those businesses in the first place? It's like, well, because we might change our mind. Mm. Right? The, the areas that we're in today, by definition, won't be the areas that we're in tomorrow. And every auto decline that I record is an opportunity to pipeline that for when we are ready to do it, or we do change our appetite, or we have a solution for that sector, I'm building the process. So, you know, having that efficiently done, but also storing that for future benefit is huge for us in terms of our long-term development. Okay, should we switch to uh, James and Beasley Digital? I, I'm, I've been fascinated also by journey in the last year or two, setting up a whole new business unit. I mean, we have, we've done it. I'm glad you're fascinated. We're exhausted. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. I mean, you've changed everything from processes to technology to like, I mean, you've got a different man management board and board of directors. Like, it's, 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 it's quite incredible. Like, perhaps for the rest of the room, give us a sense of why have you set up Business Digital? What are you trying to achieve? Yeah, so this might resonate with some of you that are in incumbents or, or legacy organizations, but, you know, we started the digital journey maybe seven years ago. James here in the audience was, was part of that journey. And we have pockets of 
sort of digital training going on across our organization. And some of it was working well and some of it wasn't working so well. But more importantly, that the way we were showing up to our brokers was really inconsistent, right? It was a bit schizophrenic. And we really stepped back and thought we could, we could do much better than this. Mm. That on top of the fact that we had a fragmentation internally to the efficiency point, and we didn't have a crisp enough focus on what does SME mean to Beasley, so taking those specialist products and making them work really well for small clients. So we took a bold decision to say, right, let's create a new division, let's carve out that SME business, and let's place it there. The bolder piece of that was to say it's completely cross-functional. So a lot of us probably work in organizations that are broker or underwriter-led. We said, right, we're going to have technology operations and underwriting in one team. They can have shared goals, and they're going to work together on achieving outcomes. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges that we faced in the first six to eight months of startup. I realized quite quickly that whilst an underwriting colleague might have one idea of what success looks like, it's quite different to how IT operations look at the same thing. Trying to get people using the same language aligned to the same outcomes was a massive mm. challenge as a, a part of what we were doing. And, and that was really the, the setup phase of, of where we've got to. So as of 1-1 one, one this year, we're now trading as a separate trading team at Beasley. We've got a dedicated PNL, mm-hmm. and we're on... You know, we're pursuing building a hopefully a you know a five hundred million dollar business um, in, in the next three years, which I'm sure you will do. Every time we talk, you're saying you you're aligned, you have aligned all your teams against like very specific goals, and you are actually using OKRs yeah. internally to align. And I think one of those is eighty percent straight through processing within Bisley Digital, which is goes back to this: how you efficiently process yeah. the more homogeneous, simpler risks. Yeah. Perhaps if you could share as much as you can confidentially, but like if you could share like what's your vision of what new business work will look like a product like cyber, which is not easy to underwrite, but it's, it's a high volume one. Yeah, sure. So if you think about the workflow as a, a set of capabilities, it's mm-hmm. not dissimilar to how an underwriter thinks. So you've got that first stage, which is I need to get information about that risk. That information could come from an application form, but increasingly it's coming from other sources as well. So we use a service called Kind. Many of you probably are familiar with it. Classic vulnerability scanning service. So bringing that data in, getting that up front, getting confidence in that data, and then moving it on to the next stage. The next stage really is around triaging that risk. And we'd love to win all business as well, but also we're primarily targeted on writing profitable books of business. So, So that means carefully selecting risk, right? So for example, if a client does not have an MFA solution, we would classify that as not an insurable risk. Now, we're also incentivized to try and remediate that. So a big part of what we're doing as well in that flow is providing back mm. some degree of service. So it's saying to the client, we're not straight declining you, but by the way, you've got this complication in your security hygiene. You need to resolve it and then come back to us. So really that's ingest, enrich, triage. The next phase of that is much more speaking to the transactional part. And many of us here have probably been through this, but it's building a very automated policy admin system or policy life cycles sort of platform. For us, I call that the product engine. And I really sort of classify three things as the product engine. That's the rater, the underwriting rules, and then the forms that go with that. And that sits, again, in another component. So I think the flow for us as a component perspective is modular, but it, it does work in sort of a harmonious way. It has to start with high-quality data. Mm. And we did some 
sort of analysis on their current application forms. Although an underwriter, what a broker would say, their gospel, we think we think the data accuracy of, of the forms received today is around 60%, which means 40% of it's wrong. So when we come into talking about portfolio analytics or really micro-segmentation, that's fundamentally flawed because we do not understand yeah. what that client looks like. So I think you know, using Cytora here to extract the data from documents that we don't, we, historically has not happened, enriching that with data that we trust, not just to drive efficiency and broker service, but to drive better analytics is ultimately where we're trying to get to. And I think that that combination of data from the submission with who's the client, do they have MFA, right? That, that's data that only exists in a submission, right? With third-party data, in your case, it's kind for port vulnerability, but it could be flat scores, it could be whatever it is. With your internal data, what we're doing with you guys too is automating the clearance process. Right. You kind of need to like integrate all those three sources of data to be able to start making decisions automatically on those risks, right? Correct. And so, yeah, the clearance process is a, is a promise to our brokers that we're not going to quote another broker if we're quoting an existing broker. That's an important promise. The other challenge that many of you guys will probably have is that distribution is increasingly becoming omni-channel. So whilst we might think about portals, we're also moving into market hubs. We've got some direct API connections with brokers. And then we've got our email channel as well. So um, meeting our brokers where they want to be met is really important because I think you touched on it. Just putting out a portal to make the broker do the work for you is not going to work. It's not a long-term strategy at all. We've tried it many times and failed. Yeah, and there's pockets of it where it will work, where the broker really wants a specific product. But we're thinking, we've got to think beyond that and think across all those different distribution channels. Yeah, so it's fantastic. Both of you have touched on that service to brokers being at the core of profitable growth, right? So how do you see that providing a better service to brokers? What's yeah, so what tends to happen when we when I've sat in discussions and you read articles and you hear other insurers speak, everything's so bloody generic, right? Yeah. And life is not like that, right, in terms of where it is. If we look at that as an example, do you know what? There are brokers that are fully digitally aware. They really are, right? And they will want a very specific, clean, easy-to-use, highly oriented user experience, right? minimizing the amount of information that is required. And if you can add to that, they are going to absolutely take full advantage of that. But a large chunk of brokers aren't. They're still quite traditional in the way that they want to operate. And many insurers are pushing them down a route in terms of that self-service piece. It's like a work transfer. You're not doing that for efficiency. You're doing that because it's cheaper. Yeah. And I think that, for me, is at the heart of, of what we do. And it sounds like we're definitely looking at Beasley from a, from a distance. What Beasley do is it's genuinely about how is this going to add value to the broker? How is this going to improve the way that we manage risk? How is this going to enable us to transact more effectively? And ultimately, the better that is, the more you're going to win, which is what it's yeah. all about, and the more you're going to keep in terms yeah. of that dialogue. So for me, the service experience has to kind of recognize that you've got two different kind of potential audiences here. Um, and then the second bit is that constant engagement. Now, this market is notorious for quoting, binding, don't speak for 12 months, renewal. Oh. Unless there's an MTA. That's insane. And the digital communication capability and using data 
segmenting opportunity, using that for marketing purposes in particular, especially around creating a conversation, just becomes so fundamental. And it ultimately comes down to, please, let's not make this a price discussion because an MGA has released capacity and it's 20% cheaper. That, by the way, you got a very short memory because they disappeared two years ago. And we as a market have got to change that commoditized approach because it's not good for any of us. We're not going to make money out of this. I'd agree. I think services going to become table stakes pretty quickly. The, the availability of, of cloud-based services is just meaning and third-party products, the amount of VC money that's going to insure techs. If you go back 10 years, you had about two choices of decent core systems. We now have a lot of choice around core systems and they're quite economical and they're really quite good. So basic service is going to become table stakes. We've got to start thinking about those service elements of the products that, that engage the client beyond or provide services in times of need beyond a payout. So we, we've thought very carefully about that for cyber. Mm. I think there's other products. Um, Paul and I were looking at something of the week where we've got an executive replacement program. Um, we're thinking about how we can help our clients with ESG, um, small clients with ESG concerns for next year. So I agree with you completely. That's, that's where we need to get to. Yeah. We're still focused on the basics though. Yeah, yeah, have, Getting a quote can balls. still be more difficult than you want like, to believe. And the, and the, I think the other topic I've heard both of you mentioning is the opportunities that having access to the data of your full submission flow opens up. The, the insurance industry is notorious for only, cap, well, quite often only capturing data for the risk you've bound, right? The next step would be some insurers capture the data they've quoted and very few of the 80% that you don't even quote, right? So. Perhaps some thoughts on like what could you do if you had access to all that data of the full submission flow? Yeah, look, I think that so I think there's two routes that that question kind of takes us down. Yep. So one is purely around data. It amazes me that we're still tied to the proposal form as the source of the truth to be able to get a quote. Right? Almost all of that data can be augmented in some way, shape, or form. And now that's with Saitora, that's what we do. We do that in other parts of Europe in terms of, let's stop asking for some of this data. Let's go and find it ourselves, right? So that we kind of can make that process, that questioning process slicker. But the second bit, and this is the harder bit. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that the whole of the underwriting process can be automated because it can't be. Right? But in the SME business that we're in, a large chunk, right, sitting down and getting the underwriters to be able to take that experience, that knowledge, now, I've not seen a decision tree in the market since I've been here on that basis. And you know, we're doing it already on our direct submissions. We're doing it in other areas. And I genuinely feel that from a broker perspective, you're talking about service. You nail the two together with a really good, you're talking about API links going in. That is the future. The US, that is their MO in terms of how they're operating with our brokers and their customers that we're targeting. They're 10 years ahead of us. I mean, you spent time in the US from the conversation earlier. I hope you're nodding along because it's, mm. it's quite far advanced compared to what we're doing here in the UK, if I'm not mistaken, right? So I think that they're, they're the two kind of opportunities that I think that we should be able to focus on and push. It's still not easy, right? Because um, I'll give you a simple example. Part of the triage process for underwriting a risk is understanding what does the client do. In the SME space, there's certain classes that we, there's certain activities we can't write. So you look like you're a bar, that's completely fine. But you may also be selling marijuana or doing other activities that we definitely do not want to write. And 
clearly from a regulatory perspective and from a risk perspective, we don't want to take those on. So the art of underwriting often is in, is in the assessment of that example. A good one is like casinos in Vegas. You know, what are they? Are they restaurants? Are they hotels? Are they gambling facilities? Are they entertainment facilities? Well, the answer is they're all of the above. And that can be quite a difficult thing to then assess and price. So there are services, though, that are increasingly becoming accurate enough for the SME market to say, do you know what? I think we're 80% there, yeah. right? So we've been working a bit, and Sam's done some genius work with um, Relativity 6, for example, that on our Techie and O book helps us establish, as a tech consultant, you know, are they just providing advisory on a McKinsey basis to Saitora, or are they minting NFTs? And, or are they doing crypto? And obviously, one of those we'd write, and one of them we wouldn't write. Um, so there, there are some nuances in taking that risk on, but I think there are technologies coming along that can start to help. Now, the, the trick is to sort of say, it's good enough, and by the way, what you've got today is still not accurate. Right? So it's a bit like the self-driving car analogy. It's like, oh my God, Tesla crashed. I just want to remind you that human beings crash their cars lots every day. Mm. So it's not a reason to discount automating driving better than probably what we're doing already. But I think that's, there's, a, there's a transformation mindset shift there that needs to happen. So this is actually an area, we'll, we'll talk about it later too, that we are spending quite a lot of time on. Because traditionally, many insurers, their focus is, okay, can we map a client to a SIC code or a Nike code or a single activity, right? I think what you were saying, which I totally, totally agree, is actually you might need that for, to, to, for the input to the rating system, right? But the reality is clients are involved in plenty of activities. So it's more about how can you understand all the activities a client is involved in? And then you can decide, okay, is it in appetite or not? And you would rather have the 15 activities a client is involved in, even if you then use a single one for your rating engine. This is, this is fascinating. It's been, an, as always, fantastic to have you both. Thank you so much. It's always very exciting. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. Thank you.